The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money, that's the name of the show, and it starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim, I sold my Tilray, Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast Tech Stocks, under pressure today, despite the broader rally, and there's one small company that could predict the next move for the space. We'll give you the name. Plus, it's a stock that's got all of Wall Street, Main Street, the pizza man, your mom and dad, everyone else talking. Potstock Tilray practically broke the ticker, halted not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times, turning negative at one point before finishing higher by 40%. In fact, it is so crazy, so crazy. We are ditching our Bitcoin bug. That's out. Giving you what you really just want, and uh, that is, is that's right, a Tilray bug. Uh, there we go. We'll be on Tilray Watch the whole hour, and this way you won't have any reason to look away from your screen. If Smart. that doesn't mark the top, nothing else will. <laughs> We're going to have much more on this story later in the hour. But first, we start off with the dreams coming true of all the people waiting for the bank stocks to rally. It finally happened. Check out shares of Citigroup, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Morgan Stanley all jumping today as rates moved considerably higher. So are the banks out of purgatory for good? Will the banks lead the markets higher? Pete, what do you say? I don't know if they're out of purgatory for good, but I do like the start of what we're seeing right now. And when you see the 10-year approaching 3.1%, suddenly, all of a sudden, the banks, everybody wants to look at them once again. And J.P. Morgan was one of the names that really reacted today. I liked what we saw out of there. And 119 seems to be an area where if J.P. Morgan breaks through that, I think it actually has plenty of room to the upside still, Mel. So Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan City, Bank of America, all these names, Morgan Stanley, all doing very, very well. There was actually an upgrade of E-Trade today as well. I like the financials. I continue to hold this financials. But I don't know that we can say after one day that purgatory is over with and here we are in this huge bull market. What would convince you, Tim? I would argue that banks have not been purgatory at all. And I realize that if you look at it times in this last year and a half, you can pick times that the banks have really outperformed. But um, Dan and I do this all the time. I and mean, you can pick your point in the last since the elections. But financials, certainly from before elections, are outperforming the rest of the market. If you want to take the day after, because obviously they had a big, big move, I can argue that it can be very selective. Bottom line, J.P. Morgan, if you look at their last quarter numbers, record profits. And if you look at the banks, J.P. Morgan has gone from 102 to 118 really since mid-July. So this move didn't happen yesterday. It's been happening over the last couple yeah, of months. Yeah, but I guess the most important thing is that it hasn't been happening since January, right? So they have been in purgatory. They've massively underperformed. The, uh, the What's massively industry. underperformed? Well, uh, you have the investment and, banks and, and, down. And, well, hold on, Tim. Can I finish? Because you just do your sorry, thing. You're right. There, no, you're right, 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 right. Max. You're uh, Tilroy right, buddy. Um, no, but I mean, oh, when you're looking at, it. you know, Goldman, Morgan Stanley down 15, 16 percent. 
2% from their January highs. We were looking before today at really no major U.S. banks that were up on the year other than J.P. Morgan and Bank America. So we've gotten some nice moves after some consolidations, yet we see the broad market consolidating at the all-time highs, and we see the banks consolidating down 5, 6, 7, or even 15%. So to me, it's a one-day action, right? We see the we finally saw the 10-year breakout, but we're also seeing, obviously, a very flat yield curve, too. And so as we go into this rate cycle, we know that we're going to get at least one more rate increase, right, this year, possibly two. I just don't see the banks really performing on a sustained basis. I don't see J.P. Morgan in a meaningful way breaking out and having tremendous upside in 2019. That, that being said, you did say it's the must-own stock, and it acts much better, J.P. Morgan. You said it last week, I remember. Then, I think it was your then, final trade that night. Well, I think you piled might, on, might actually. Might, uh, yeah. Right? Yes, yeah. am yeah. I right? And then I got short till Ray. Uh, well, yeah. Again, we'll, we'll talk. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Let's let Guy talk, because he's quiet <laughs> over there. I want to sure. hear him. Sure, just run the show, I just as if I'm not here. Yeah, go ahead. Speaking go ahead, which, guys. Welcome, I, no, so welcome, right. welcome back. Okay. Welcome back. We've missed you. Exactly. You leave once again. I know. I'm here today. All right, what do you say? it's great to have you back. Great to be back. I would disagree on Goldman Sachs. I think Goldman Sachs, the fact management Features changing, they're completely, in my opinion, <laughs> changing the sort of the look of the firm, the feel of the firm. So I think Goldman Sachs is going to go through some, some growing pains at this level. So I'm not necessarily sure it's going to participate with the rest of them. The one that I do like on valuation, and we spoke about it last night, continues to be Citibank, which is up, I think, about 3% today. I think price to book, basically one times price to book, report October 16th. If the banks continue to rally on some sort of rotation, I think the most beta-sensitive one or the one that has most upside is City. What, what is the more important driver to the bank trade at this point, Pete? Is it the fact that the 210 spread, they aren't so bad anymore? I mean, before, we were looking at 22 or so, and now we're more like 25-ish, and yields matter. are moving higher. Sorry, or <laughs> is it that investors are, are starting to abandon the FANG trade? I mean, today, for instance, we had Guggenheim coming out, raising the price target on Netflix. What did Netflix yeah. do? Finish lower. Right. Well, I do think this is, has a lot to do with rotation, and it has a lot to do with what has underperformed and where do people want to actually start moving their money towards the latter part of the year. I do think if we see the 10-year the somewhere in this range, somewhere over 3 mil and maybe all the way up to 3 and a quarter, something like that, I think the banks are absolutely going to outperform. I think the rotation makes a lot of sense. We already know all the earnings. I mean, Tim talked about JP, but that was a known. And these stocks still didn't do a whole heck of a lot. So we know that they have the earnings strength, but it's been about what's the next catalyst. I think part of the catalyst is, is the 10-year, but the other part is definitely yeah, rotation right, but, 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 yeah, from yeah, some but of the but technology don't you think that This yes. is the point about rate cycle that we're in. Don't you think we're going to see an inverted yield curve very quickly, very soon? I, I think, actually, if you, if you want to compare the graph of the XLF against the Dow, it's the same graph. So, I mean, largely, um, I think as, as banks have underperformed, they're underperforming in line with either uh, the industrials or parts of that global trade, you know, implicated, you know, dynamic that I think was pushing down the Dow. The Dow only recently has been outperforming. Dow outperformed again today, and it has been doing that for the last week, much like financials. So um, I just think if the economy is showing strength into the fourth quarter, the banks are going to outperform. They are the greatest, most leveraged way to, to get exposure to the economy. And that, that to me, is what's going that's on. People feel case, more confident here. That's been the case all year since the lows in March, as the S&P has been stair-stepping up back to its prior highs. And we've seen a lot of industries that are very economic 
economically sensitive actually do very well. You just mentioned industrials. We're talking about transport. There's been, I mean, so why haven't the banks? I mean, that's really the question to me. So I don't think that you should expect, even if JP Morgan breaks out and makes new all time highs, Wells Fargo still stinks, okay? All those uh, investment banks still act like garbage. Well, but so I, I, I'm just saying, what, what's going to be the thing that turns it? I think what you're doing is you're starting to separate and not make it all the same trade. And I think that's the appropriate way to do it. And Wells Fargo has some fundamental issues wrong with it. So does Goldman Sachs. JP Morgan, to me, is the most diversified of the money center banks. It's got the best balance sheet. It deserves the highest multiple in terms of the lowest discount rate. And it's near all-time highs. JP Morgan is basically at all-time highs. What's wrong with that? In line with the market. So if you're trading them all as the same, and again, the Regional banks outperformed for a long time, and if anybody's most rate sensitive, it's probably those guys. The VIX below 12 and peak can obviously speak to this, as can Dan, by the way. We do a great show at 5.30 each Friday called Options Action, which Dan is <laughs> really? the, the absolute star of. <laughs> but I'll say this. The VIX is probably star. giving you another opportunity below 12. That's been sort of the level where getting long volatility as protection has been right for the last few years, and here it is again. So the VIX tells you everything's okay with the S&P. S&P wasn't a great performer today, but the rotation, I think, to the banks is encouraging. I think it can continue. I think that's an interesting point that Dan brings up in terms of being a believer in the, in the improvement of the global economy or even just the U.S. economy, US let's economy. say. So retail stocks, for instance, industrial stocks, what would you rather Ooh. Oh, would you oh, rather? rather. Oh, would you oh. rather? Yeah, wow. Banks or pick your Banks other or the your... industrials? Right now, in terms of what I think is going to perform most, I'd actually stick with industrials. But I have exposure to why? both. But why? Well, I just feel like they are much more sensitive to what's going on globally as well as in the U.S. You look at something like Caterpillar, right? Look at Boeing. Look at some of these names. And we've gone through this exercise of yep. where do their revenues really come from? And when you start to break it down, it's much more domestic than a lot of people would expect. So mm -hmm. I think that there are names in the industrial space that still are cheap. They're putting off incredible amounts of cash, and they have that much more upside, even over the financials. But I have exposure to both. I own Caterpillar, but I also own J.P. Morgan, and I own some of the other names back and forth. So I'm waiting for the financials, but it's been a really, really long wait. It has been very disappointing, but maybe this latter part of the year, we start to see that really accelerate. I, I, you know, the industrial trade, and whether it's been rails, whether it's been airlines, whether it's even been you know some of the, the the other transports. I do think it's been a cyclical rotation back and forth. Bottom line, Pete talks about the valuations. They're a lot more interesting in that part of, of the world. But this, to me, is the way this market has acted for the last 12 months. We've had times where tech has really outperformed. Then we've seen everyone said it was a tech rally over because we get this move back into value. And I think that's where we are. And I think the industrials do have an attractive valuation. I think they're front-loading what may be a growth blow-off into late October before the trade actually... Whatever we're calling it, not a war, an impasse, but the reality is the rest of the world is slower. And I think actually some of those industrials will be hurt. You mean when the trade actually impacts growth? That's right. But I yeah. think a lot of people are front-loading growth into mm -hmm. September and October, and I don't think we're going to yeah, see it Yeah, but that's because for, in a lot of industries, weeks. though, we saw ordering ahead of what people expected was going to be a very rocky trade period. So to me, I think you have a setup where you have very easy comparisons to last year. You saw a lot of front-end loading here. And the longer this trade dispute goes on, the greater the likelihood that we see a synchronized global slowing. And then we're going to start seeing guidance that looks for the first half of 2019 very disappointing. And that may reflect itself in lower stock prices. So when we think about investing in bank stocks right now, are we, are we investing on the premise that you, the U.S. economy is going to be strong and be somewhat immune to a slowdown globally? Or is it your view, perhaps, that a global slowdown outside the U.S. will then catch up here in the United States and therefore slow down bank stocks as well? Or door number three. 
which remember remember Monty. The, let's make a deal. There Monty. is door number three. And I think door Pick number me, three Monty. is the rotation out of technology stocks out of these high flyers okay. into banks for the first time that have been underloved and sort of not being a focus for the last six months. I think on valuation, banks have made sense and they continue to make sense. And I thought you were going to play Would You Rather with retailers and banks. Yeah, I mean, that was another option. I, We're, I, okay, so, so I think Pete blew the game. I gave him the option of choosing the sensitive, you know, I thought know, I heard you say re and then. No, but it ended up being industrials versus financials. But, but if, if you, you want to do the retailers like to, banks, would you I think like the retailers, now, now is the time to sort of peel out of some of these retailers that had tremendous moves. We did a power pitch on that JW Nordstrom's a while back. That thing's exploded, as have a bunch of others. Was that your power pitch? Which one? J.W. Nordstrom. Might have been. Is that yeah, why I you're talking I'm about it? No, I remember. Well, then he reiterated the closing money, which was weird, too. <laughs> I know that closing money show, that's one of my favorite shows. <laughs> that's really shows. a great show. That's I a four, right? Yeah. Great yeah. show, off the table in retailers, I think you can go to the banks. That's a rotation. It's almost the holiday season. It is. It is no holiday doubt, season. No question about it. We're like 100 days it's, away. It's also, it's also right. hump day. Stop. <laughs> Coming up, potphoria. Potphoria. Spreading through Wall Street as shares of Tilray go absolutely wild. But how long can the mania last? We've got the details. Plus, check out shares of Red Hat reporting earnings moments ago. Not a stock we talk about a whole lot on the show, but we'll tell you why this move after hours could be a key indicator for the market. And later, Pete here pounding the table on one Dow stock that's been stuck in correction territory. So what's got him betting on a turnaround? He will step up to the plate to give us his fast pitch. We're live from the Nasdaq market side in New York's Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Red Hat falling after hours. The company earnings call currently underway. While that's going on, Courtney Reagan's got the latest reactions from Wall Street on the results. Courtney. Hi there, Melissa. So Red Hat posted a mixed second quarter, disappointing third quarter guidance. And Instanet analyst Chris Eberle says Red Hat's trouble last quarter was around its middleware business. So this quarter, when you look at middleware combined with emerging technologies, grew 31%. Everly says that's a positive, but he thinks that some near-term headwinds are still there, which is why the guidance was lowered. Now, Everly says the infrastructure-related subscription revenues, that's 72% of the total, had grown at 15% for several quarters, but they could be slowing because this quarter grew at just more than 8%. Last quarter, that segment grew at 11%, and Red Hat had said that that would actually grow at double digits for the foreseeable future. So that's a concern point. Melissa? All right, Courtney, thanks. Uh, well, this after hours drop in Red Hat could actually spell trouble for the tech sector. In June, remember, Red Hat saw its worst trading day since 2006 when it plunged on its earnings results. Tech followed suit before both recovered in the next month. So could this small stock be a big tell of what's to come for tech? Well, right? back in June, the stock basically went from 180 to 130 within two or three trading days, and that was on valuation. And the story against Red Hat for a long time has been valuation. That quarter caught up to them. It's catching up with them again. Here's a stock that is still trading about 36, 37 times forward earnings. They obviously guidance wasn't great, wasn't disastrous. Question now is, will you see a commensurate move like you saw back in the summer? 
I don't think that will be the case. I don't think you're going to see the stock drop to the significance you saw before. I do see it going down to 130. Now, if that takes down the rest of tech, I think technology has a bigger problem. But I do think you see it at 130. I think it holds there. I think you buy it at that level. I mean, I guess the question in terms of whether or not this has a broader impact is, is this a Red Hat-specific problem or is this a broader tech spending problem, maybe? Uh, well, I, I think, I think first of all, Red Hat as a, as a tech stock with a high multiple, it's, it's you know, 65 times, it's, uh, at least on trailing, it's probably in the mid-40s on a forward-looking. But, you know, they're someone that was growing their bookings and billings 20% for, you know, four or five quarters in a row. Last quarter, that was, you know, that's not the guidance that we got. So um, for those guys, for sure, it's a Red Hat story. To the extent that the high multiple tech stocks were um, basically you know, they, they were traded higher until they disappointed, and now that they disappoint, I think they are prove me stories again. So, yeah, I think it's indicative of that class of stocks. I think that's exactly right. When you look at the high multiples, the concern is when do you finally see the slowdown, whether it's an Under Armour-type stock mm-hmm. or you go to NVIDIA or any of these names. Once you start to see the slowing, and if subscriptions were supposed to be double digits and they're now about 8% is what was expected, boy, that's pretty disappointing. When you put a multiple on what they've got presently, and then you suddenly see the slowing, that's when you want to actually pull your hands back. And I say that as a guy who actually owns calls right now in Red Hat, expecting it to be better than it was, and obviously this is going in my face, but when you see that slowdown, that's an issue. Well, it's also two quarters in a row, right? So, right. like, they lowered so much for this quarter that you would have thought they would have beaten it. Now they're uh, guiding lower, and I just think it's important to also look at the fact that look at who their customers are. It's an open-source software company that sells to a lot of other tech companies. So when you're seeing two quarters like this, uh, I'm suspecting they're seeing some visibility. So we may may see tech spending less on tech right now. And the other point I just mentioned is that, yeah, it's down about 20% from its all-time highs made in June. It's still up, as of the close, up 15 16% on the year. So guys, 130 level, I see a gap level to 130, 120, and it wouldn't really mean a whole heck of a lot for broader tech. But if you start to extrapolate this as we get into Q3 earnings season, then it's going to be like, oh, that was kind of a canary in the coal mine. Yep. All right, for more on the headwinds facing big tech, you could head over to CNBC.com to hear why tech legend Roger McNamee thinks Apple will stand strong. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I'm forever blowing bubbles. And many calling Pont and Bitcoin the ultimate bubbles. So how do you spawn a bubble? Guy Adami will break it down. Plus... He called the rally in pot stocks. My thinking here is that we're going to now exceed the high and that you've got quite a good setup for uh, a big breakout. And the chart master will reveal where he sees them going next when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. This morning it was just a stock. Now it is proof that the laws of gravity have been temporarily suspended on Wall Street. We're talking about Podstock Tilray and its remarkable run since its IPO just in July. Let's get to Aditi Roy in San Francisco for all the details. Hey, Aditi. Hey there, Melissa. Boy, what a wild day for anyone trading Tilray stock. The stock closing up 38% today, its best day since going public. But the real story is what happened leading up to the close. Tilray shares opening up at 233, up 51% and then steadily climbed. An hour before the close, shares soared as high as 94% or up 300 bucks, only to wipe out all of those huge gains and more in less than an hour. The low for shares was 151.40, down 2.3% on the session. It rebounded in the last 30 minutes, closing up 38%. The swings were so volatile, the stock was halted five times. Despite those ups and downs, Tilray is the best performing IPO in about two and a half years. The stock has gained 1,200% since its IPO. As of today's market close, the stock is bigger than nearly half of the components of the S&P 500. But how is it valued against its peers? We'll just take a look at the price to sales ratio of Tilray versus its competitors. Tilray's value on sales far exceeding that of companies like Canopy Growth, Aurora, even Kronos. Among the Tilray investors who are hitting the jackpot, Peter Thiel. Thiel's venture fund, Founders Fund, is a big investor in pot-focused private equity fund Privateer Holdings. It owns 76% of Tilray's stock. Thiel has been a supporter of the cannabis industry back in 2016. He donated to the ballot measure, that initiative that legalized marijuana for recreational use in California. Melissa, certainly a lots jackpot. of surprises. Yeah, a jackpot for yeah. Peter Deal. Aditi, thanks. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Our Tim Seymour, of course, is all in on this space. Uh, but Tim, we should note, is also on three advisory boards for cannabis stocks. Uh, and for all of Tim's disclosures, you can always go to fast.cnbc.com for all of them. In the meantime, what's your take on the move? Pretty crazy move today. I'm speechless. I, this is, you know, for someone that's seen a lot of liquidity rushes in other asset classes, this is extraordinary. And I do think as great as the fundamental news was, and that included an FDA announcement, yesterday that they could import medical cannabis, do research at UCSD uh, the day before Coke, talking about they're looking at this uh, more from a, you know, a, a CBD wellness perspective. Bottom line, this is a squeeze of epic proportions. And in fact, this is all capital markets dynamics. If you look at actually Tilray vis-a-vis Kronos, uh, and, and, and Canopy, the two other names that are traded over here, those stocks are effectively sideways over the last month. You can't tell me that Tilray's strategic advantage is that much better. And yes, it does. It trades you know, roughly 10 times Afria, which is another one of the big Canadian you know, big boys. So uh, the valuation makes zero sense. I actually think that they should unlock some more stock from Privateer. I think there should be more of a float out there right now. And I think actually that would relieve a lot of the volatility here because this is a short squeeze. And I think through Friday's expiration, it's going to be a wild ride. There's some guys that are very short this stock, and I would stay out of the way. I mean, it's crazy to think that Peter Thiel owns 76% of the shares out there in Tilray. I mean, talk about a tight float, right? You it's think? extremely tight. <laughs> there's no stock out and there. And when there's right. a 20-something percent shortage, to, to, Tim's, right. yeah. to Tim's point, you see what happens. But it's also, and we've talked about this, Tim has as well, there's a scarcity issue in terms of the amount of publicly traded stocks that people have the availability to get into in a space that everybody thinks, or a lot of people think, will be effectively the next Internet. When more stocks become public, I don't think you're going to see dynamic moves like this in, in the near future. Especially more stocks coming public here in the United States. I mean, there's also, right, another level of, of scarcity. Coming. 
uh, just because there are so few stocks listed here. They're all yeah. listed in Canada. for the And most when you look part. at the volume today, how about the fact that it was nearly oh. four times normal? I mean, 30 plus million shares today when it's been right. trading about eight million shares a day. I mean, the short squeeze is, is definitely in play. And, and, and the borrow, if any of us sitting on the desk talk about it all the time, but the borrow on this name is absolutely outrageous. So it means that the options price very odd too, Mel. Yeah. Not to get complicated, but very, very Well, I would just bet one other point. You know, that move into 3 o'clock when it went from yeah. basically 240 to 3 o'clock, you know, day traders with the borrow and, the t and, and everything as tight as it is, you know, day traders are probably shorting it without a borrow. And then at some point they have to make a decision. And that could have been the thing That's that right. caused yeah. that I'm short squeeze. That. And then you start having these halts, you know. And I mean, it was perfectly mayhem for a $20 billion market cap company. Yep. All right. Our next guest was on this show just one week ago called the surge in pot stocks. This is either the opportunity or the issue. Basically, as an aggregate, pot stocks all peaked in January with the market and have yet to recover back to those levels. But based on, again, this recent heavy volume accumulation as we approach the former high, my thinking here is that we're going to now exceed the high and that you've got quite a good setup for uh, a big breakout. I, I like the theme, but again, you can pick the wrong one. One way to do it is to stick with an aggregate like this. Chartmaster was spot on. The marijuana ETF has now indeed exceeded its prior January high. Since its call on September 10th, the ETF is up nearly 4%. Chartmaster Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro back at the plasma with a warning. And Carter, have, to, have you ever seen anything like this? Well, it's extraordinary, right? I mean, it's, it's the volatility, it's the lack of float, and it's the sheer intraday range. I'm going to talk about that at the end. But today's story is really not about pot stocks, really. It is about this one particular stock. And so let's drill down on that. What we know is uh, the issue of liquidity. There are 76.5 million shares outstanding, and yet 58 of them are held by uh, one entity. Um, the float is only 10. Average day volume is 11. And we saw today 34 million shares traded. Effectively, every share that's available to be traded, traded three times, if you could look at it that way. But let's go on to the, um, let's go on to the next slide. And... Uh, I want to look at the intraday action. So what this is, is this is a 60-minute bar chart. So every bar is an hour. And what we know is that after basically coming out of the IPO, if we look at the next chart, you'll see that it was up 100% right out of the gate. The next chart will show us that it was gave back about 36%. And you can see that here, right? So we have a huge give back after this huge gain and basically a dead asset. And then, of course, the launch. So the next setup you'll see here is that we move along the line, and this is today's action, and this is what's important. We basically have perfectly over and over and over walked this line until today's blow-off parabolic move. So from here, next chart, what you'll see is that we went through the top and then Close the gap. So there was actually a little gap. It was the open, and then we collapsed. And so now the issue is, does that high set the high for a long time? I think so, yes. Uh, one more chart, and then I want to make a point about charting overall. So if we could clear this. My clear button doesn't say, well, maybe it's here. I'm sorry. I think I've been driving the wrong way here. Okay, now look. This is what's important. Bar charts. 
If ever you don't see a bar chart on this screen, it's because I haven't had time to send in the right chart. But any published report you ever look at, if you use a line chart, you are not looking at the facts. The fact that the stock had a low of 150 and a high of 300, where you open, where you close is what matters. And the fact is it had a very poor close. Now, end with this. If you have a line chart and you just woke up because you got off a plane, a 13-hour trip from around the world, you'd say, oh, Tilray, close at 214, up 38%. That's not the story. Intraday charts are very important. If ever you're charting, use a high-low close chart, not a line chart. That tells us nothing. Plenty of people lost millions today, and others made millions. Carter has got to come over to the oh, desk. Oh, you kidding me? I mean, well, without that kind of analysis? Stephanie will bring the chair in. Even without bars or whatever. Bars give us a little bit of pucks, a little bit about charts. Oh, we got the bars in. Um, Tilray specifically, what's the downside right now? Well, so the important thing is, is that what a blow-off looks like, where you have unrelenting appreciation, a lot of illiquidity, and then a double, effectively, and then a collapse. The halting alone tells you that that is a spasmodic sort of flare-up that won't end well. So I think the highs of today, 300, will stand for a long time. Is technical analysis more difficult when you have such a small float? I mean, when you have... Of uh, 76% of the shares held by somebody who is long. Right. Uh, you, and you, you only think, have. Right. And yet you right. saw the trend line there. It goes right along the trend line, mm-hmm. gets extended, and then falls back. And remember, uh, a lot of charting is done in the biggest assets in the world currencies or the smallest micro cap stocks. It doesn't matter. Carter, what, is it, what do those gaps mean? Are the, like, are the, the halting gaps and all that so, sort of stuff? Does that make it really hard to kind of look at that intraday action? Well, the gap is what's so important is that you had that opening gap. Yeah. So think about what the experience could have been. There are people who might have been short going into it, and then it gapped up and they covered. Right? They said, I can't take it. And then maybe they said, well, maybe I'll get long. This is, this is just going to never stop. And flipped it around, got long, only to watch the thing crash. There are people who made money three times, in and out perfectly, and there are people who also lost all of their fingers uh, today. It's... It's, it's deadly stuff, almost untradeable. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sort of yeah. break what we're supposed to be doing right now because I want to go to Dan yeah. and ask you about what we saw in the options pits. Yeah. And how do these trading halts, because you were asking about the halts in the technical now, how does that affect yeah. what goes really on Really hard for market pits? makers, really hard for exchanges. I know you worked on an exchange, but one of the things is when you have a stock that opened uh, at 150 from a whatever close and goes high, you need to start adding strikes, right? And so when market makers, if someone wants to buy calls, right, they're selling a call, well, how do they hedge it? They either can hedge it with options, all right, if they sell a call, or they can buy stock if they're selling a put. They do the, the opposite thing. So it gets really complicated. I suspect some of these halts in the stock had to do with the fact that options market makers were kind of getting left, uh, you know, kind of flat-footed here. And the volume actually exploded in Tilray today as far as yeah. options are concerned. So the total volume was about four times average over the last month or so. Call volume was about one and a quarter, 1.5 times that of puts. But that doesn't really tell the story about bullish price action. To your point, I think traders were using options here for leverage and to define their risk. But they were doing so crossing very wide bid ask, which is very, very dangerous in a name that's moving like this. And, and just like speculators were having a hard time, I suspect that market makers were also having a very, very The hard hardest time. thing is to figure out, and I've made a statement that either is going to be right or not, is the hive today, it does that stand for a long time. Mm. It's my hunch that it does. There are plenty of people who think, oh, that's just the beginning of a much... Hot stocks in general, it's a long run. We've talked about that. This is just the beginning. But this particular stock on this particular day has all the indications of a key reversal, a bad close. The highs should be in for a long time. 
Yeah. Pete, I know you're probably watching the action. Yeah. I know we have short sellers on, guys like Andrew Left of Citron, who, by the way, tweeted this morning that he is still short, holds a manageable position still. The only way a mean? position can be managed, the only lower. way yeah. would be through the options market, I would, right. I would think. Some form of a hedge. And Not the interesting thing is, options. I, mean, I actually talked to a specialist today who was telling me how impossible it was and how they wanted to continue to, some of them wanted more strikes, some of them wanted less strikes. And I think the biggest problem, Mel, is, Dan brought it up, is the, the liquidity issue, when you look at the, how wide the markets are, the bid-ask spreads are ridiculous. And that's partially because of the borrow and all, the, all sorts of other reasons. But because of that, it makes that even, even though you can manage the risk, it's very, very difficult because you are having to pay up if you're buying or sit, sell way down if you're selling. It really makes it much more complicated than people think. All right. Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter worth the cornerstone. For more options action, you can check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up. Okay, so is this, is this cannabis craze here really a mania? And how do you know when you're in the midst of a mania? Guy Adami here is oh. going to break down the three signs you should be watching for. Plus, Pete here has made his way over to the plasma. He says there is one Dow stock. Oh, it's not Pete. Oh, it's Guy. Is uh, it going to be Pete? Oh, there oh, he is. Hey. Stuck in correction territory. It's setting up to be an epic <laughs> breakout. Pete will explain what's got him yelling giddy up. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast. We got a news alert out of D.C. Let's get to Elon Moy for the details. Elon. Melissa, the Wall Street Journal reporting that President Trump plans to nominate Nellie Lang to serve on the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors here in Washington. That's according to one of their sources. Nellie Lang is currently a fellow at the Brookings Institution, but she's a familiar face at the Fed. She launched the Office of Financial Stability after the financial crisis. She headed up that department. She worked at the Fed for 31 years before retiring last year. And now, according to the Wall Street Journal, a nominee to be on the Fed's Board of Governors. Back over to you. All right. Elon, thanks. Elon Moy. Shifting gears now. Time for an instant replay. Back in May, Pete stepped up to the plate to pitch Disney. The fundamental story is this. They buy back their shares, great dividend, cash flows all the time. I think this is a company that you can see the lack of performance. I think performance is in the future. Since that call on Disney, the stock has jumped 7%. So what do you do with Disney now, Pete? I'm still holding it. I still think it goes higher. And I think actually as they get closer and closer to the competition of streaming with Netflix, I think they win. All right. Well, since uh, Disney was a, a winner of a pitch, why don't you go back up to the plasma? Give us your best shot here. All right. Here we go again. Once again, here's the name I'm going to put out there. I pitched this once before, Intel. Intel is really interesting. It's a much different company than when I pitched it before. Here's why. Right now, the CEO is not in place. That's a question mark. When they eventually make that selection for the CEO, who should be Navin Chinoy, by the way, who runs the data center group, when they make that, I think that's a catalyst that absolutely gives a pop to the stock. So that's number one. I like what the management's been for a long time. Unfortunately, Brian Krasanich did some things that actually got him pushed out. That's why he's no longer there. I think Navin Chinoy is the guy. You look at the price to earnings ratio presently at 11 times. This is the fundamental side of this company. By the way, they have retired over 10% of their shares over the last five years. So they're actually helping you there as well, plus 2.7% dividend yield and cash flow. Free cash flow, $13 billion a year. And they're using that for all kinds of different other areas. That's something that's unbelievable. I love what they're doing with the cash. A lot of the spend that they've been doing in terms of the R&D has been gobbled up as well. So 
I like what they're doing with their financials. And then you look for growth. What are the growth right now? You've got growth in the earnings. That's over 20 plus percent. You got revenue growth around 10 percent. You got the data center group, which is becoming more and more of the revenue for this company. That's why that gentleman I mentioned, Navin Chinoy, should be the new CEO. That's where the real growth is. 27 percent year over year. This is a company that still has growth has great earnings, great revenue, and I think going forward, they will outperform. By the way, when you can buy a stock off of its highs, significantly off its highs, that gives you a little bit something in a market that's trading at all-time highs. I think Intel actually has plenty of room to the upside. May I ask Pedro a question? You may, Guy. Hi, Pete. Big fan of your work. Um, First time, recent, long time. The yeah. recent move in AMD from like basically 10 to 31, does that suggest that AMD is cutting into Intel? Can both survive? I think both can survive. I think both of them easily can survive. But it does say something about how well Lisa Sue is doing over at AMD, making a lot of the right decisions. I think they compete quite a bit, Guy, but not as much as everybody thinks in certain areas. I think data center group is where Intel actually has the upper hand. I think that's where their growth has been coming from and will continue to be their growth. You know, it's funny, Pete, you're, you want somebody internally to be uh, the new CEO. Yes. I would tell you that I could see an announcement coming and the stock flat on that. But if they were to <laughs> actually say, Lisa Sue is our new CEO, I think you'd see the stock up 10% in a heartbeat. Mm. I disagree with you, but here's why. The, the biggest growth area, go back, Dan, to Microsoft and look at what happened with Satya Nadella. That's, exact, Nadella. That's exactly what we're looking at here potentially because it's the growth side of the business. It was the cloud with Microsoft. There wasn't vision at Microsoft under Ballmer. All of a sudden, you get this new, new guy in place, Satya Nadella, who comes from the cloud. He grows the cloud even more, and that's why that stock's gone from 30 to 111, 112, something like that. I think the same type of thing it could be happening right now for Intel. All right, no more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying or selling Pete's pitch on Intel? Tim, you're the first to cast the vote. Yeah, I tell you what, one of Pete's best pitches deserves one of my best pictures ever of Pete. Wow. Um, yeah. it, you know, it's a good it, picture, it, Tim. It really is Something. one of my best. I think Intel's revenue guidance and margin guidance for the second half of the year were actually very light. They're seeing strength across their entire portfolio. I'm buying it, Pete. All right, Dan, what do you say? So I agree with all of that from Pete and from Tim, and I think you stay long against $43. I think that's my original call right there. Guy, what do you say? You know something? Remember the game Match Game when they used to cheat off each other's answers, Charles Nelson Riley and Brett Summers? So you just cheated off? No, I was writing it. You looked over. I didn't know what you were looking at. Nipsey Russell used to do that. second. I wrote this first. Do a split screen. That sounds exactly the same. That's embarrassing. That's where the stuff is. How about your group thing? Original thought. Buys across the board. Would you out there buy Intel on Pete's pitch? Giddy up and go vote in our Twitter poll now at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, oh, oh, oh come on. <laughs> Amazon oh. continuing on the path to total Ooh. tech domination. Should Facebook and Google fear their ad dollars? Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you're an Aditi Roy fan, tonight is your lucky night. Mm. Amazon's ad game has been so hot. She's back again to break down just how hot <laughs> it has been. Aditi. Uh, well, I'm a Melissa Lee fan, so I feel lucky to talk to you twice tonight. Amazon's so hot, by the way, it now ranks third behind Google and Facebook in U.S. digital ad platforms, surpassing Oath, which was once Yahoo, and also Microsoft, which includes LinkedIn. eMarketer forecasting Amazon will generate $4.6 billion in U.S. ad revenue in 2018, giving the company just more than 4% 
share of the market. That's still pretty small, though, compared to Google, which has a 37 percent share, and Facebook, which owns 20 percent of the digital ad space. But the move is still notable. The Google-Facebook duopoly is slowly losing its dominance in the digital ad market, slipping a couple percentage points to 57.7 percent this year. Advertisers are increasingly turning to Amazon because the e-commerce giant is basically sitting on a gold mine of data on consumer purchase behavior. Amazon is reportedly looking at new ways to bring in ad dollars, and the next wave may come from voice. Alexa devices are already disrupting search which is a core source of revenue for Google's ad product. And just today, Amazon says it's testing out a shopping site which recommends products to consumers based on their likes and dislikes, which could help with more targeted ads for consumers. Melissa, back to you. All right, Aditi, thanks. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Um, let's trade it. We certainly did see stock reaction in terms of uh, that new shopping platform that they launched. Wayfair was down. Stitch Fix was down. What do you think about this? Remember the beginning of dominate. September. I know you have like a like like a chunk like attack you are. And we started a show in I think one the first days of September. What can stop Amazon? It was 2035, and we talked about it could stop itself because in terms of relative strength index, it was trading at levels we hadn't seen in 20 years. And I said wouldn't be ridiculous, and I used the word ridiculous to see the stock trade down to 1850. We're within a whisper of that. I'll stand by it. I do think there's a chance in this environment that you still make that push. Not an indictment of Amazon by any stretch. You've seen moves like this before. I think that's where you buy it. Well, th there may be an indictment of Amazon coming from the EU. So, again, the EU opened a probe today against their use of data on merchants. And I'm not saying that that's a reason to sell the stock here today. But it's another building point against they and regulatory environment changing on them, and I would just be wary of that. We are at a point now, right, when government, governments around the world, including EU our own, and the EU especially, really examining big tech very right. specifically. Well, specifically data. And, and, they, yeah. and what, is, what is something that's available to be able to put out there and what's not? I mean, that's that's part of the issue. So as great as that is for Amazon, and also a little bit of an Achilles heel, because people are trying to figure out, hey, what can we give out data-wise? I mean, the security issue is why I think when you look around, I, th I think the security companies are still a steal in most cases. Even the ones that seem a little bit inflated, I think there's a great opportunity there. But this will definitely harm Amazon a little bit, I think, going forward, and the EU and all the rest of that. Still, look at the juggernaut that they are in AWS. Yeah, so it's a juggernaut. It's up 65% of the right. year. It's got a $940 billion market cap. I think that's adequately reflected in the market. I think the biggest issue about this, this is great news that they have this massively growing advertising business. It's really about how they use that data and to push into other industries that I believe is going to catch the ire of regulators, not just in the EU. And here, it is fantastic that they have this growing ad business. Like I said, AWS is, what, 11 12% of their total sales. So anytime you have fast-growing businesses... Um, that actually have much higher margins than their retail business. That helps you justify the gains that it has. But, uh, you know, ultimately, the data thing could be the thing that kind of slows them down in the near future. All right. Coming up, you know about Bitcoin mania, Beetle mania, the tulip mania, Tim's vest mania. Oh, yeah. And now Tilray mania taking over on Wall Street and Main Street and every other street out there. Is it a bubble? How do you know when a mania is Go happening around you? Guy Adami, who is there for all of those manias. That's weird. That's three ways to spot a bubble. He'll tell us what that is and what it could mean for your portfolio. We're live at the NASDAQ market site. More Fast Money straight ahead. 
50%. We got to talk some cannabis this morning. Canadian cannabis firm Tilray continues to soar. Tilray, I mean, they absolutely have built that thing the right way. And you look at the market enthusiasm, right? Right now, the problem is there's just not enough supply. So the pot stock's soaring. Tilray up 1,186% since its IPO. Canopy growth, that's up 141% this year. Tilray, in our opinion, is one of the weaker stocks. Tilray, Tilray, Tilray. That was just a short montage of the Tilray fever that swept our airwaves today. So how do you spot a mania and is that necessarily a bad thing? Guy Dami is at the plasma with The More You Know. Guy. Hi, Mel. Hi, everybody. And this is, a, I love these segments, The More You Know. Look, we've had manias all through my lifetime. We had this pretty flower mania back in the 1600s. We had mania with four British guys, one with no shoes on, walking across the street, all with bad teeth, by the way. We had subway token mania as well. And then we have this question mark. No, it's not guy dance mania like that. This is the mania that we're seeing now. Slide it, Earl. Look. Marijuana mania. Now, you oh. say to yourself, well, how do you spot a mania? Well, the real thing is the next slide. Take a look. Price doesn't matter. Back in the tulip mania, skilled workers, 10 years worth of their salaries for one bulb of a tulip. Beatles, kids, people were selling their firstborn to get Beatles tickets at Chase Stadium. Subway tokens, people making cufflinks out of subway tokens. Nuts. What's going on here? Well, you saw it in Tilray today. Ridiculous move. Price doesn't matter. Valuations don't matter. Next, Main Street chatter. Everybody was talking about tulips when I was a kid, and people still talk about the Beatles, and we talked about the subway tokens. But Main Street chatter, <laughs> look at the spike today in cannabis and Tilray search. Ridiculous. Now everybody's talking about it. Clearly a mania. Last slide. Earl. Earl. Price doesn't matter. Main Street chatter. Now, check this out. A kernel of truth behind all this bull thesis. What does that mean? I still plant tulips every year. The more I plant, the more I get. Everybody does. When you see tulips, you know spring is here. That ain't a mania. That's the truth. Beatles, I still got my eight tracks. That's not going away anytime soon. Subway talking tokens we talked about, I still have pant loads of them back at the house. And I got to tell you something, and Tim Seymour has been on this now for a year. Marijuana, cannabis, is not going away. It might be a mania, but there is more than a kernel of truth behind what's going on in the entire space. Back to you, Mel. Tim has a question. Right. So, guy, like like the tulips, the more you plant, the more you get. The more the more cannabis you plant, the more you get. How, when you compare these different manias, what's the duration for seeing sanity return to these markets? And I realize that's you know all different in terms of history. Tulips. It was 1633, I believe, to 1637 before it crashed. That was four years. Bitcoin, it's not subway tokens, I know. Leave, don't at me, as the kids say on Twitter. Bitcoin wait, basically lasted a few months. That's come back down to earth. The Beatles never really went away. We're still talking about it. Paul McCartney is the man, although I will tell you, Tim, George yes, Harrison was the most talented Beatle. And we'll see I about told cannabis. You that. I, told I don't you think that. cannabis is going away anytime soon. I would submit, and I think you agree with this, I think this is this generation's uh, internet. Well, I would, and I would, I would just argue that I think the, the lack of infrastructure in all those markets is what led to those moments, and that's where we are here. All right. Up next, final trades. It was close, but not close oh. enough. Tony Braxton is safe. She will try and unbreak Keith's heart, but 
it continues to get broken, sadly. Like so back to Brax. She had a different now. song for a while, though, that I liked a little bit well, better. When you really get when housed you really out get there slammed, and thumped, there's a different song. I like the slammed one better than Brax. Nah. All right, we can arrange that next time. Uh, time for <laughs> uh, the final trade. Pete, what do you say? Uh, Wolves only counts in horseshoes. I'm going to go with Intel. I like that pitch. I think this thing's going higher. Giddy up. Tim. Oil, which was once slammed, has certainly been a place to invest for 18 months. And I think the OIH is ready to make another move. Check it out. Yeah, we spent some time on Red Hat tonight. That was fun. Red Hat. Yeah, I don't think you buy it here. I don't think you get hurt. We've never harder, talked so much. Closer to your 130 yeah, level. Sure. I don't think you buy it. Yeah, you love Red Hat, right? I mean, who, do you have a Red Hat? We've done more of the hat. career of Tony Braxton than any show in the history of television. <laughs> she got her own show. She's got her own show. She's got her own reality show. She's got a reality show. Anyway, shows what you know about Tony. PRU. final trade? That's a financial that gets you done. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 more fast. Meantime, Matt and Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.